welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This is episode 58, and I am Zach Faulkner-Barfield, 1PG, and alongside me is the charming, chivalrous Mr. James Marwood. How are you, sir? I'm very well, sir. Yourself? I'm not too bad, sir. A bit tired at the moment. I have a small challenge coming my way, which is eating up my time. Not so small. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's good. Well, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the summer. It's finally arrived here in the northeast of England, which has been a bit rainy and wet. But today has been glorious, and I've, uh, I've been out for a walk in it and thoroughly enjoying. Oh, very lovely, yes. It's been a bit muggy today in the south. Uh, we had a nice thunderstorm last night. Hopefully the weather will hold out for the whole of August, and we shall have a nice summer. Yes, splendid. So, James, what is the catching your eye in our perfect gentlemanly world. We talked last episode about Michael Bond and Paddington. Yeah, we did. There was a, a lovely article from uh, Phoebe Brannock in ED Week talking about lessons in civility from Paddington Bear. Nine lessons. Oh, how lovely. I just loved this article. It was glorious. She talks about something I didn't, I wasn't aware of, actually, that apparently Michael Bond based Paddington on his own father and on his manners. Oh, right. And one of the things that I always liked about Paddington was that he remained civil and he demanded it of other people in a calm and well-mannered way, but he was always, no matter what sort of scrape he got into, you know, covering himself in marmalade or getting arrested or something like that, (laughs) he was always very calm and polite. He was. Which I liked. Phoebe Brannock, who's written this, talks about nine rules for children. But I think they do for all of us, actually. So I thought it might be fun to run through those. Well, why not? Let's run through them. I think they're incredibly relevant, not only to children, but certainly to adults and young adults and anyone, really. Anybody at all. So, number one, be presentable. Oh, absolutely. Personal hygiene and dressing in accordance with the occasion. Absolutely. Yes, and if the occasion calls for a duffel coat in Wellingtons, so much the better. And, of course, a red hat. Acknowledge others. When Paddington goes out, he raises his hat. He does. And greets people. And he says, please and thank you. I know my godchildren, for example, were raised to do their please and thank yous every time. I think it does make a difference to how confident they are because they know the rules of how to interact and they know what's expected. Yeah. And so because of that, they're confident in what they can do. Absolutely. Keep the spaces you use clean. I'm not entirely sure Paddington nails that one, to be honest. He tries, but he does like his marmalade. Yes, actually, I made some marmalade not too long back. It's not an easy thing to clean up. No. Writing thank you notes. Oh, incredibly important. I love receiving thank you notes, and so because I know that, I like to send them. Um, Be hospitable. So keeping your guests' preferences in mind, making sure everyone's welcome and comfortable, how to be a good host and a good guest. Absolutely. Very true. Think before you act. Oh, how appropriate is that? <laughs> Something I struggle with. I must admit, I struggled with it a little bit earlier today where I had to bite my tongue and I tried to give my very best Paddington hard stare, but I'm not sure it worked. <laughs> But I was able to hold my tongue and not say something I'd probably have come to regret. I always have the seven breath rule. Yeah? I take seven breaths, then I decide whether I'm going to be mad or not. The one I'm using a lot at work at the moment is, hmm, how do you think I should respond to that? (laughs) It gives them a chance to think, "Hmm, should you really have said that to me? An article in the book, Reflected Glory, which is a biography of several Royal Marines, and one of them describes his his sergeant dealing with a bunch of rioting ladies in Northern Ireland during the Troubles by calmly smoking a pipe and waiting for them all to calm down. (laughs) A novel approach to a riot. I don't don't know if we do that so much now, but it seemed to work. I like that. I shall take up pipe smoking just so I can calmly light a pipe. A cigar or a cigarette or whatever, you you can kind of smoke that furiously, but a pipe? It requires sort of thoughtfulness. Yes. Um, don't interrupt adults or waiting your turn to speak. I agree with that. There's something called the, the marshmallow test. 
Ah, oh, yes, delayed gratification, patience. Yes, indeed. And that is showing how putting off eating a, a marshmallow to have more later, the children learn self-control. And learning self-control at a young age correlates strongly with success in later life. And not interrupting is a big part of that. Um, show awareness of others' concerns. I don't know if you remember the very first times when Paddington came to London. He asked, how could he help? So rather than saying, I'm lost, I'm alone, I'm stuck, he was, could I be of assistance? And I think that goes a long way. That's a great phrase. This kind of reminds me of the lovely TV programme Due South with a Canadian Mountie, Fraser. Yes. And I love that because he was always asked if he could be of assistance and, and the thank you kindly. <laughs> yes. But I loved him for that. And it's actually something that I found to work quite well in the office, especially in, in workshops or meetings, is when people are getting angry and aerated, is to pick your moment and then to ask, perhaps I could suggest something helpful or perhaps I could help here. By that point, people are really eager to listen and to find someone with a solution, rather than if you try and interject earlier and push your point of view or push this is the right way to do it and you're all idiots. You can sit there quietly and think that for a little while, but give them that extra five or six minutes to come to the point where they're stuck and then offer a solution. Yes. And that works very well. Absolutely. And the final one, I think, is, is probably the most important, which is to apologise when you're wrong. It's your humility. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important. And uh, Paddington did get himself into his fair share of scrapes. Yes. He did uh, have to apologise. He did. He had ample opportunity to demonstrate that. Exactly. I know, for example, it can be quite difficult, especially in a situation where you're not so sure of your status or you're a little bit nervous or you're you probably recognize that you've made a mistake and you feel stupid for it and you want to you want everyone to get past that and actually the quickest way to get people to get past the mistake is just to own it and say that wasn't right i apologize i'm sorry yeah no, absolutely too many things I mean, we see that now in in politics and in, in business in public life where if you just oh yeah yeah that wasn't right you're you're quite right i apologize i i, I shan't do that again then People just, OK, move on. But if you try and hold your ground and d declare you weren't wrong or you try and brazen it out, that's what sticks in people's minds. Yes, absolutely. I saw this survey, which it was in The Sun, of all things. Oh, OK. And it was talking about negative attitudes and bad manners are most likely to land you in trouble with your boss. So it was a survey for a company called Instaprint. They found out that uh, number one was having a negative attitude. Number two was lying about jobs you, they have completed. In other words, not owning up to your mistake. Yes. Refusal to work as a team and not helping others. We just covered all these in the lovely Paddington article. Absolutely. Poor manners at four, not saying please and thank you, not engaging too much, and being disorganised. All of those things we've just talked about with Paddington, top five things and how to upset your boss at work. I must admit, quite often when I go into businesses and I'm working with project teams and operational teams that aren't performing well, often at the root of it, it's things like negative attitudes and how that breeds, I'm negative, so, so you're negative back, so I'm negative again, and it breaks down the structures within the team. It makes it really hard to get good work done. And none of us really go to work to do bad work or go anywhere to do something badly. We want to do a good job and it's more fun doing it that way. It's really easy to derail that just with some simple thoughtlessness. You can fix that really simply. There we go. Well, we've solved that. Everyone should behave more like Paddington. Yes, indeed. More like Paddington. And if you avoid the negative attitude and the bad manners, you'll do much better at work. Exactly. So one article's caught my eye, James, which I thought for a little amusement for you and I. Okay. So I found an article, by, I can't pronounce the name, Annie Kane in the UK Business Insider. It was about the code of chivalry. 
which we talk about quite a bit at The Perfect Gentleman. Yes. And as we say, you know, most of the code of chivalry is not about holding the doors open for ladies. It was all about respect and, and behaviour and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But there are a few things in the code of chivalry which are a little bit weird. Okay. Things that probably aren't very relevant today or a little bit more difficult to understand. So there's seven rules of chivalry that are not very apt today or a little amusing for us. Okay. I shall run through them for you. Splendid. Number one, don't beat up random members of the clergy. (laughs) Okay. Well, if I was compiling my rules for life, that wouldn't necessarily go to the top. But I just like the way it's random members of the clergy. Yes. If it was a particular member, then, then fair enough. But yes. I guess in, in medieval times, that was probably more of an issue. One of the codes of jury says, they condemn anyone who attacks, seizes or beats a priest, deacon or other clergyman who is not bearing arms. OK. Well, if he's bearing arms, fair dues, go beat him up. <laughs> yes, I've refrained from that till now. I'll endeavour to continue to do so. Uh, don't steal livestock or kill farm animals for no reason. OK. Um, I like the for no reason bit. Yes, I, mean, I presume if you're at war and you're foraging and looking to feed your army, then that's probably considered good reason then. Yes, it says knights could kill villagers' animals if they needed to feed themselves or their men, but not just just general debauchery and thievery and killing of farm animals. Why would you randomly kill a farm animal? You see a rule and you know that there's somebody somewhere is a reason for that rule. <laughs> exactly. Which is true for the next one as well. Do not assault, rob, kidnap and torture random people. Oh. Again, a good rule to live by, but um, not random. Not random. Specific people, obviously fine. (laughs) Yes. Random people, not good. Don't burn down or destroy houses unless you have a good reason. Does it say what a good reason is? If you think there's an enemy horseman or soldier or thief within a house, that gives you right to burn it down. Okay. They're also warned against plundering or stealing from the poor. The highest degree of villainy for a knight was to support themselves by looting from impoverished persons. That seems entirely reasonable. The next two are are very good. I like these. These are ones that you should live by, I think. Don't assist criminals. Okay, yes. If a criminal comes to a knight for protection, the knight should either make amends for the wrongdoer or force him to make amends, or therefore deny him protection. That seems reasonable. And of course, the next one is correct as well. Don't attack women. There's a small caveat to this. Unless they give you reason. Okay, well, that does speak to something that comes up sometimes in the in the self-defence classes, which is, you know, how do you set, defend yourself against against women? And what does that mean in terms of being a gentleman? Hmm. You know, I tend to be of the view that if somebody's attempting to do me harm, I shall stop them by the, the most effective but least damaging way I can do. Exactly, regardless of gender. Having been forced at times to remove unruly ladies from public houses and then take offence at it. Just because somebody is a lady doesn't mean that she can't do you some mischief. Exactly. Well, you wouldn't want to attack anyone anyway, but if you were defending yourself from a woman, then do it in the same way as you would do anyone else. Exactly. And then the last one, which is highly amusing, completely apt for today's world. Don't ambush unarmed knights from Lent to Easter. Oh. So the rest of the year, you're good to go, but just not between Lent and Easter. Especially unarmed knights. If they're armed, fair dues. Okay. Ambush away all year round, but they're out of season (laughs) between between Lent and Easter. Exactly. It's Good Friday. Damn it, we can't do them yet. (laughs) Uh, I'll get you next time. (laughs) So a little, little fun on chivalry for us there. So anything else caught your eye there, James? There was, I thought, a really good, interesting article that was in Fashion Beans, who often pull things from elsewhere, but this was done by their own staff on summer style, talking specifically about Riviera style. Okay. In this sense, they're talking really about sort of the French Côte d'Azur 
French Riviera about the best way to dress and the lessons from that. And one of the things that I really liked about this, which I thought was excellent and often gets missed, is about the palette and the colours used. And it's really interesting how colour can make a big difference to how seasonal your outfit is, how summery. So they talk about light neutrals. So white, beige, stone, tan, and my favourite, ecru, which is a sort of untreated linen, slightly yellowy colour. And then mixing those with some stronger colours, such as reds, blues, or pastels. If you can switch up, for example, switch out your normal odd jacket, which might be a navy blue blazer, switch that for a stone or a beige one, or switch your suit for a tan one, it makes a massive difference without actually really changing what you're wearing. It's just that little bit of a different colour makes you really fit with the season. Oh, absolutely. I think we've talked about it before, the cloth changes the season too, but the colour is incredibly important. Yes. We do have these unwritten codes of dress that we kind of unconsciously we understand as human beings. And if we see sort of pale, uh, pastel colours and, and those tans and beiges, we kind of do think automatically, oh, summer. You're right. It's interesting. I had this on Friday where I um, went in for a view meeting with some of the guys I'm working with and I knew I was going out for lunch later so I had on light tan cotton trousers, chinos and a white long sleeve polo. Fine sort of casual Friday wear but they were, oh, you're, you're very summery. I thought, well, I am, but actually cotton trousers and a long sleeve polo is probably my normal casual Friday for that sort of office. And uh, just by changing the colour, completely changed the, the way the outfit was perceived. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's almost that, that thing where you kind of almost go, this is the Riviera sort of Miami Vice look. It's, if it's tans and pastels and everyone thinks, oh my God, that's summer. Oh my God, you're heading to the beach kind of thing. That's one of the things I do like about summer. I mean, I struggle a bit with the heat and, and direct sun being fair haired and fair skinned. I tend to burn really easily, but I love the chance to wear these colours I wouldn't wear the rest of the year. Especially for me on footwear. I love the ability to actually put some bold colours on one's feet during the summer period. Get some nice suede driving shoes or espadrilles, match that with your outfit and have a bit of fun with your footwear, which you generally can't have when you're in that sort of autumn, winter months as a guy. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of polos, that's another item which kind of fits with that Riviera vibe. Good, well-fitting polo shirts, especially long-sleeve ones, are great summer wear especially in the uk where it can change from being warm to cooler in the evening and those sorts of things my favorite thing that this article talks about is about the advantage of unstructured tailoring and unlined lightweight tailoring i love this it can be sometimes a challenge to find because it takes a little bit more making it's a little bit harder to make when you're making a bulk an unlined jacket with a soft relaxed shoulder in a nice summary something like a cotton seersucker linen something like that i've got a, a, a great one actually in a light airy wool which is a nice open weave so the breeze gets through it it's not too hot in the summer they're fantastic for those summer days where really it's too hot to wear a suit or to wear a traditional suit and you don't want to be all stuffy and hiding in the shade all day but you still want to be smartly dressed i love it have a look at that sort of traditional riviera style and the sort of colors that they talk about and the, the sort of you know you can look at things like tailored shorts which are sort of classic for that and chinos especially tailored swim shorts i think look so much better than either speedos or baggy board shorts or that sort of thing yes very much so and also just one final thing it's if you really want that riviera french look you need a breton top 
the quintessential French Breton top. Yes, actually, that's a good point. The navy and white striped T-shirt, uh, long-sleeved or short-sleeved, actually, but generally long-sleeved shirts. Like they're ubiquitous to France and ubiquitous to the Riviera. Those stripes hide a multitude of sins and just look great all day round. So a very nice article. Let's take some Riviera styling, James. Yes, indeed, shall do. Uh, on that note, yes, we are taking a Riviera-style break. We are. The perfect gentleman is taking a, a sort of a summer sabbatical. We're going away for our August sojourn. We shall be back to entertain you and inform you on the seventh of September uh, for more podcasting glory, with maybe a few more differences and maybe get some guests on again. That would be great. The guest shows are always good fun. Yeah, exactly. My last thing today, James, it's something that's rankled me and it's sort of a part gentleman's rant but a more part of gentleman's rankle. Mm -hmm. The Tube, the underground in London, Transport for London has announced that it will not do its ladies and gentlemen announcements. It's to be scrapped. Yes. I don't know. This rankles me a little bit. Now, I understand that we're a modern era and gender is fluid and everyone's supposed to be equal and all that sort of stuff. It's just sort of for London, for the London Tube, it takes us away from being that British underground, the home of the public transport and, you know, that kind of Britishness is going. If underground stuff we talk to say hello, everyone, or welcome, then we're turning into, I'm sorry, into American cousins, you know, we're turning into America. Next thing you know, we'll be greeting you with awesome. For me, I'd come at it slightly differently. I think that we understand probably more now about gender and about social constructs of gender and I understand that gender is not fully a, a social thing before I get angry emails. It bothers me none, really. It will make other people, people who probably get it pretty rough most of the rest of the time, they'll feel a little bit more welcomed. Welcome is not, you know, is not a very British greeting. They could do, maybe do better than, than welcome or hello everybody or something like that. I have friends who are transgender and who are identifying in all sorts of different ways. You know, if it makes them feel a little bit better... It doesn't cost me anything. I'm fine with it. I can understand why some people would see it differently. I want those friends of mine and even the guys I don't know who, who fall in those brackets to be as welcome as I am. If this gets them feeling more welcome, then yeah, I'm cool. I don't disagree with that. I totally understand that. For me, it's about the level of formality and the level of lightness and respect. Ladies and gentlemen, has that aura of formality and politeness and respect, whereas welcome or hello everyone is very like... Ah, uh, you know, yes. It could be anywhere. That makes more sense to me. We tend to conflate older forms of address with politeness, and that usually is the case because we've been historically, traditionally politer than we are now. I think there is something to that. I don't know how you would get around that, though, and get both. I don't know either, but I agree with you that it makes them feel better. But I just feel every time we do this, we just become a, a world of Starbucks and Pret-a-Manger and, and McDonald's. It just becomes homogenous. And where does that lead? It's my so homogeny and my lack of politeness. Again, I, I don't really have an issue with it. But if there's a way we could maintain the politeness and the respect whilst extending that to everybody... That would be the way to go. Well, uh, let's ask our listeners out there. So anyone out there, you have a thought about how you balance those two things? And is there a phrase or something that you think could be used instead of ladies and gentlemen that fulfills both my and James's uh, requirements? Why don't you drop us a line? And drop us an inquiries at theperfectgentleman.tv or alternatively, uh, send us a message on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're on all of them. Uh, we're happy to hear from you. We love questions, as you, you well know. Or make us some suggestions and hopefully we'll have some questions from you 
when we come back. One final thing, whilst we're away and off air, as it were, it is Men's Grooming Day on Friday the 18th of August. Mm -hmm. I didn't know we had a Men's Grooming Day, but now I do. I didn't know either. Um, That's the first day of my summer holidays, in fact. Oh, look at that. There we go. So uh, just while you're out there, and have a look at some of the men's grooming products, maybe some of the ones we've talked about over the past few months here at The Perfect Gentleman, maybe some fragrances like Kenneth Cole or some hair product like Palmar Barbers or the London Grooming Company. You know, have a look at some of those and why not experiment on Men's Grooming Day and try something a bit different? I did notice this morning I'm almost at the end of one of my aftershaves, so I was going to uh, to treat myself to something. That'll probably be the time to do it. It probably will. There we go. So, James, enjoy your Riviera holiday. And you, my friend. I'm feeling like we should actually reenact Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, that would be fantastic. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> I love that film. I do love that film, too. It's gentlemanly caddiness. All in good fun. Don't actually go and spend your summer conning widows out of their fortunes. I, I couldn't possibly say, James. I couldn't possibly <laughs> yeah. Anyway, my friend, have a lovely time. Have a lovely summer. I'm sure I will speak to you over the summer, but we won't speak over the podcasting waves. But uh, have a lovely summer and I will see you back in September. Have a good time, my friend. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by The Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.